there, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of E Pluribus Unum. I have a lot on my mind today, so I'm going to try to get this episode out before Shabbos starts, which is in 40 minutes, so it's possible that this episode is going to be less edited than others, and I apologize for that in advance if you hear ums or some pauses, but that's just the way it's going to be because I really have a lot on my mind, and I just wanted to share it today because I thought it would make me less stressful, less stressed, and I hope that in my talking about things that are on my mind, it won't stress you out, but it'll instead just give you food for thought as we go into the weekend. So, because it is Friday, we will start with the Parsha. This week's Parsha, or Torah portion, is B'Shalach. And so a brief summary, courtesy of Chabad.org. Soon after allowing the children of Israel to depart from Egypt, Pharaoh chases after them to force their return, and the Israelites find themselves trapped between Pharaoh's armies and the sea. God tells Moses to raise his staff over the water. The sea splits to allow the Israelites to pass through and then closes over the pursuing Egyptians. Moses and the children of Israel sing a song of praise and gratitude to God. In the desert, the people suffer thirst and hunger and repeatedly complain to Moses and Aaron. God miraculously sweetens the bitter waters of Marah and later has Moses bring forth water from a rock by striking it with his staff. He causes manna to rain down from the heavens before dawn each morning and quails to appear in the Israelite camp each evening. The children of Israel are instructed to gather a double portion of manna on Friday as none will descend on Shabbos, the divinely decreed day of rest. Some disobey and go to gather manna on the seventh day but find nothing. Aaron preserves a small quantity of men in a jar as a testimony for future generations. In Rephidim, the people are attacked by the Amalekites, who are defeated by Moses' prayers and an army raised by Joshua. So a few thoughts on the Parsha. So if you are familiar with the story of the Exodus, there are the ten plagues. The Jews finally leave when, after the tenth plague, which is the death of the firstborn, and then they end up at the Sea of Reeds which is parted for them by God. You might be more familiar with the parting of the Red Sea, but that is a mistranslation. It is indeed the Reed Sea. And there is a Midrashic explanation, and Midrash is oral oral discussion and oral law that is um, passed down in interpretations of the Torah. And there is one that says that when the Jews faced the Sea of Reeds and saw that there was no way to cross and that they had the Egyptians pursuing them, they were afraid and that there were four different groups of thought on what they should do. One group said, let's fight the Egyptians. We can beat them. A second group said, let's pray to God to save us from this. A third group said, let's just return and be slaves, at least we'll be alive. And the fourth group said, let's jump into the water and commit suicide. And when I was a kid, we would learn this in school and the teachers would pose the question, well, which do you think is the correct answer? And of course, as kids, we would think pray, because that's what we're usually taught, that Jews are not a violent people and that when we have problems, we turn to God through prayer. But the correct response was actually none of these. The correct response was to walk calmly into the water as God had said that he would split it and so that we should have, the Jews should have trusted God that he would follow through on what he said. And in fact, one man, Nachshon ben Aminadav, did in fact have this faith. And the story goes that he walked into the water up to his nose. And just when it got to the point where he would have drowned, 
the water split. And it's just a lesson in some of those, okay, praying is almost always a reasonable response to any situation. Sometimes we have to fight. Suicide is never an option and returning to the bad thing could sometimes, I guess in some situations, unfortunately you have to return to the bad one. But the point is that sometimes faith requires complete trust that what God says he will do, he will do. And it's a, maybe it's a little bit of blind, in our times there's a little bit more blind faith than there was in the times of the Bible because God was so present in people's lives in such a visible way in our lives. Well, we can choose to see the miracles every day and then we can see God in our lives, but it's not as easy for some people. They want to see something like locusts to prove God exists, which is weird. I don't know why people need to see something bad and something hugely miraculous to prove that God exists. I think the fact that plants grow and babies are born and and electricity works. I mean, you can choose to look at the world as miraculous and then you'll see God all the time. But a lot of people that's harder for. And I think the idea is that sometimes it's okay to just have a little bit of blind faith and a little bit of trust. I think there is a little bit of a leap when it comes to faith because you can you can argue rationally for God, absolutely. It's not just an emotional thing. But for people who want hard data and scientific facts, I guess there's not much that you can show them. And sometimes you just need to take that leap of faith. That's all. And it's okay. It doesn't make you an unintelligent person to do something based just on faith and on feelings. So that's the splitting of the Reed Sea. Then we go quickly to the Jews complaining in the desert. Spoiler alert, the Jews complain a lot in the desert, which as some people point out is proof or is a proof of the Torah's divinity and truth because what other people, like most people write about how wonderful they are as a people, you know, and kings used to write about how they were descendants of gods. The Jews, we get in all their, in all their grittiness. Um, that's unusual and is an indication that it's probably real because if someone just wanted to make up a religion, they would, they would make up how wonderful the Jews are and they were peaceful and loving and they were so grateful for everything. But no, we get the truth that the Israelites, though they were the chosen people and again, chosen for responsibilities, not special rights, uh, they were also still human and fallible and complained a lot. And then uh, the manna that comes down from heaven, or man in Hebrew, and there's uh, two that were delivered on Friday because people were not allowed to, because um, none came on Shabbos because it's the day of rest. And still today, we have two loaves of challah on Friday night to remember the man. And in fact, we put a challah board underneath, a special board or plate for the challah. And we put a beautiful special cover on top of the challah. And that is meant to mimic the dew that was supposed to have surrounded the mun so that it was protected when it fell. There was a layer on the top and on the bottom. So we cover the challah on the bottom and on the top. Um, and that's 
that's the Parsha, and that's some of the applications and lessons still for our lives today, and some, um, in Judaism, we have a lot of rituals that we do that are testimonies and reminders of past things, and the challah is one of those examples. We have the challah, and we remember something that happened in the past, which is God giving us food in the desert. I want to take a brief rewind to the previous two Parshas um, to talk about, actually the previous three, which all deal with the Jews in Egypt, or the Israelites in Egypt. So Israelites lived there. Uh, brief, brief recap. Joseph ends up there because his brothers sell him to slavery, but he ends up as the viceroy of Egypt. His whole family comes down to live in Egypt in a time of famine. Slowly, the Jews end up as slaves of the Egyptians. Moses is eventually born, and when he is 80 years old, he comes back under God's command to help free the Jews from their enslavement. There are 10 plagues of uh, increasing harshness, and then the Jews finally leave, and then we meet them at the Sea of Reeds. There is a commandment in the Torah. It comes in Deuteronomy. It says, Do not abhor the Egyptian, for you are a stranger in his land. Just let that sink in for a second. The Jews are told not to hate the Egyptian, for we were strangers in their land. But the, but the first part, to not hate the Egyptian. Um, what? They enslaved us. They also organized a campaign to murder all the baby boys. They tried to split up parents. Um, we're supposed to not hate them? Can you explain that to me? And yet, we're not supposed to hate them. In fact, there's only one group, and we are told to hate, and it is at the end of this week's Parsha, and it's the Amalekites, but that's just a little bit of a conversation, and I don't want to get into it this week, maybe next week, um, focusing on the Egyptians, because it's not, we are reminded to, or not even to, we're not even told to hate the Amalekites, we're just told to remember them, and to never forget the evil that they did to us, so it's a little bit different than hate, um, but that's not novel. It's very normal for people to hate those who have done bad to them. And in this case, the Amalekites attacked the Jews who were in the rear of the procession. So it was the old and the weary and the disabled. So the weakest people. So what they did was evil. But the Egyptians also, they enslaved, they enslaved the Jews. So that is evil. But we're told not to hate them. And that is unique, which is another reason how you know the Torah is must be divinely written because to come up with an idea that is so not how humans act has to come from somewhere not human. That's all. And most humans, it takes a really big person to not have begrudging feelings to someone who did something bad to them. And that can be like, oh, that kid bullied me in high school kind of stuff. This is enslaved and murdered. So it's kind of on a bigger scale. 
And yet, again, we're told not to hate them. And in fact, at the Passover Seder every year, we, we read the whole, we read the story of the Exodus, and one of the th- traditions is when we read the ten plagues, we pour out a little bit of wine from our cup for each plague. And why are we pouring out wine? Because even though the plagues were miraculous and they saved us, we do not celebrate the murder or the, the death and the suffering that the Egyptians went through. Even though they were our enemies, we don't celebrate their pain. And I think that that is an amazing lesson. And it's not a lesson just for the Jews. Remember, the Torah isn't just for the Jews. The only, th- I mean, some things are specifically for the Jews, or at least it has since been interpreted then by, I mean, Christianity and Islam came from Judaism, and then they decided that they didn't have to keep some of the uh, specific laws, like kosher, for instance, and they do Shabbat differently. But some of the some of the Torah is specifically just for Jews. Some of the more ritualistic stuff and some of the, yeah, mostly the ritual type stuff. But the Torah is for the world because it, it is, it's not really a history so much as it is an ethical document teaching us how to be good people. So it's telling the Jews not to hate the Egyptians because we were strangers in their land but that's a lesson for everyone not to hate, not to hate, period, full stop. I mean, we're also commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. Everyone is familiar with that. But, but I don't know if people are as familiar with the idea that we're not supposed to hate. The Jews are also commanded, I think it is the most mentioned commandment in the Torah, that Jews are commanded not to hate the stranger or the foreigner, which is you know, someone, someone who's different, basically, um, because they themselves were foreigners. So it's, it's one thing to be commanded to love, but to be commanded to not hate, and again, to not hate the ones who enslaved you. And it is hard to read this Parsha without, of course, thinking about black people in the United States specifically, and probably in other countries, but I don't know exactly what it's like in other countries. I can only talk really to the current moment in the United States. And there are some black people who are so filled with hatred. And hatred towards white people as a whole. So they have hatred towards a whole group because of something perpetrated by some other white people over 200 years ago. Now, I think there are some really important similarities between the Jews and Blacks. Not 100% the same. Our, Our stories are not totally alike, but there are a lot of similarities, and I think that if Black people, and yes, the country as a whole, and obviously the world as a whole, took the lessons from the Torah and took the lessons from how the Jews have responded to things or how God has told us to respond to things. I'm not saying Jews should take the credit for God telling us to not hate or um, or to remember the Exodus each year. What I am saying is that there are lessons 
for all of us from this Parsha and from, from the whole Exodus and how Jews are required to act following it. Um, I, I told you there were going to be a lot of ums. You're just going to have to deal with it and just know that this is full and real me. And sometimes I say um because I get lost and I'm trying to make a point or think about things. So there is a holiday. It's not a national holiday yet, though I think it should be. It's called Juneteenth. And I only heard about it this past year. And apparently some black people and maybe other people celebrate it too. And it celebrates the day that the last slaves were freed. Apparently slavery ended, but some slaveholders were not so quick to part with their, what they considered property. Uh, and this was in Texas. And I guess also, you know, things take a little bit, took longer back then communication did. So it hadn't gotten out to Texas yet that, Hey, what you're doing is illegal now. Um, always been immoral, but now it's illegal. So stop it. And so Juneteenth, I think is June. Oh goodness. It's either June 14th or 19th. And that's celebrated as the day that slavery ended. I think that's an amazing holiday. I think it should be a national holiday. Everyone should celebrate it. Black, white, recent immigrant here since the Mayflower. Everyone should celebrate it because that's a really important day that our country at least legally said it was living up to its founding ideals. Obviously, there were things after that that did not live up to those ideals, but it's a good start. And but what I think... Juneteenth should be, should be a Passover. It should be a Passover for everyone, a day off of work and, you know, a national holiday. Things are closed and that we have specific rituals on how we celebrate it because it is important to remember, but it's also important to forgive. And there's something beautiful about the Passover Seder when we pour out the wine for the Egyptians that died. I mean, how amazing would it be if there were some sort of Seder for Juneteenth and families or communities were gathered around and when they talked about the Civil War, you poured out a little bit of blood for the Union and the Confederate soldiers. As a, for the Union soldiers, it could be as a, you know, thank you for fighting for the side of righteousness and for the Confederate soldiers, it would be, even though you were on the wrong side, we are humans and we don't celebrate death and your suffering or your family's suffering. I mean, I just, I don't know. National holiday, unfortunately, isn't religious. You can't mandate that people celebrate in a certain way. But I think it would be really inspiring if political leaders or celebrities or whoever people listen to these days, religious leaders for sure, but I don't know if people listen to religious leaders, unfortunately, as much as they do to celebrities and politicians. Anyway, if they came out and said, you know, here's, there's a lot of pain in this country that a lot of people are, people are feeling, and there's a lot of hatred. This is something that we can celebrate all together, something positive that we can celebrate and, and try to move on. And again, moving on doesn't mean that you forget I mean, how long have Jews been celebrating Passover, right? Thousands of years. We do not forget that we were slaves in Egypt. It is something that is mentioned in many of our prayers. 
and we remember the slavery and we remember the Exodus and then a Seder is, I just heard this recently, the most participated in Jewish activity, even more than Yom Kippur. Not all families celebrate the full seven or eight days of Passover, but so many do a Seder, like just the one or two nights of the Seder, which is really incredible. And how amazing would it be if as a country we could do something similar? Because I don't know any Jews who hate any Egyptians. Now again, it's thousands of years versus just a couple hundred. And of course, because of Jim Crow, I understand that there was still illegal and immoral ways that people were behaving towards blacks for many years. So the hurt is more raw, I understand. Um, and someone made an interesting point the other day, which was the Jews had an exodus, so they got to leave the land of their enslavement, but black, a lot of black people who are descendants of slaves are still here, which is a really interesting insight because I'm, I'm sure it's harder to be around. I mean, a lot of Jews left. I mean, a lot of Jews were forced to leave Europe and a lot of Jews were killed in Europe, but you know, Jews, Jews tend to leave places where they are hated and blacks did not, for whatever reason. I don't know why blacks didn't leave. I mean, it can't be easy to go back to a country that even though you're descended from, you have no connection to, at least in the country where you were enslaved, you know, you might have family, and it probably explains why a lot of blacks left the South for the North and for California, amongst other reasons. So again, that's why blacks and Jews are not totally the same, but there's just a lot of overlap. So I understand that it that it could potentially be harder for some people to find forgiveness, though I would say that hating like, and I've brought up this before, it would be ridiculous of me to hate a German kid today who has nothing to do with the Holocaust. Just And in the same way, it's ridiculous and wrong for black people to hate white people just because some white people were slave owners. Not all white people were slave owners. Not all white people participated in racist policies. And in fact, many fought against it. And shouldn't they be given credit too? I don't understand this idea that we hate all white people because of what some white people did. Well, why don't we love all white people for the good that white people did? It's ridiculous. Either way, you don't hate an entire group for the actions of just some of them. And you certainly don't hate based on race because race is so mixed. I mean, people come from a variety of parents and you have mixed race. And like, who even knows what people are? I mean, do you hate half of Obama because he's white? I mean, it's ridiculous. The idea of racism is ridiculous. Anyway, I'm getting a little bit sidetracked and I'm running out of time. I just um, think there's a lot to be learned from the idea of not hating the Egyptian, not hating those who have done wrong to you and in fact trying to find a path of love and forgiveness and moving forward instead of being stuck in the past. Not forgetting your past. Your past is where you came from and it's your connection to your people, but taking that knowledge and letting it be part of you, but moving on. Um, and I, I guess as it comes to Shabbos, if I can give some sort of you know blessing to the world, it is that people, instead of focusing on 
the past and past hatreds and wrongs, whether in your personal life or in a, on a national level. Try to focus on forgiveness, and I hope we can all focus on love and coming together, and yes, unity, true unity, as is on our coins and is the name of the podcast, E Pluribus Unum, out of many, one. We are a lot of different people with different stories and different races and different genders and different sexualities and different ages and different beliefs, likes and dislikes, but we can come together as one and I just really hope that that can happen. So thank you so much for listening and for being here. Uh, Again, I apologize for the ums and the pauses, but maybe it's a little bit fun because it's real and authentic and people really like authentic these days, right? Anyway, I'm so glad you're here. I wish you all a wonderful Shabbos. If you are Jewish or not Jewish, take, if you can take a full day, that's great. If you can just do half a day, turn off your phone, turn off your computer, go outside, spend time with family or friends, play a board game, read a book, cook, dance, whatever, just take a break, be grateful for this beautiful world that we're in, be grateful for whatever blessings we have, and um, remember to always be a little bit kinder than necessary. Good Shabbos. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. I hope today's episode made you think or brought some clarity and positivity to your day. Subscribe to the show to always get the most recent episode directly to your device. Please leave a rating and a review and share the show with your family, friends, or anyone you think might benefit from a little Torah wisdom and conservative thoughts. For more of my thoughts and ideas I share from others, please follow me on Instagram at conservativejewishfemale or read my blog conservativejewishfemale.blogspot.com. The intro outro music is Chopin's Waterfall Etude. Have a great day.